When a crisis hits, don't forget what God is doing through it all. There are those marriage crises. There are times when the money runs out, when the job disappears, when adultery enters in, when the house burns down, when the kids go sideways, when the loneliness swallows you up, when fears and anxiety rule and they grow. But God is using them. You may not even see it for years until after the fact, but God is using them. God is saying, I want you, and I want more of you, and I want all of you. And God is going to use the crises in our lives to get more of you. This is amazing grace. Well, maybe this is an especially difficult time for you, like the woman we'll meet today on Abounding Grace. She was barren and desperate. Perhaps your situation looks a little different, but we can learn from Hannah's example nonetheless. She shows us where to turn at such times as she goes to church to seek help, praise, and then worships God. Pastor Ed Taylor will encourage us to do the same when faced with a crisis. Let's join him now in 1 Samuel 1. Once in a while, God deals with us. And he deals with us in such a way where he wants us just to stop and put everything on the table with him. He wants our whole heart offered to him. He desires for us to bring, to come, he desires to bring us to a whole new level of commitment and service and readiness and faith and trust that in many cases we didn't even know was possible in our lives. Now, there aren't many of these huge crises in our lives, but there are some. And I realize and recognize that many of you are in the middle of it right now. And God wants to remind us that he's drawing something out of us, adding something to us as he fashions and molds our life. That's where Hannah is and where many men and women of the Bible have been. That great cloud of witnesses of the faithfulness of God if you're taking notes, just jot down a few names. You'll, you'll read the Bible a little differently in light of this theology of suffering. I'm reminded of Abraham. What a man of worship. What a man of faith. What a man of integrity. He loved God. And the Bible says that he built many altars, which speaks to us of a life of worship and sacrifice. He, he stepped out in faith to obey God, to go to a land that he didn't know where he was going. But then there was that time when God requested the sacrifice of his son, Isaac, You'll remember Isaac. This is the promised child of God given to Abram and Sarai in their latter years, 99, 100 years old. And God produces a miracle in the womb and brings about Isaac. And there they are living. This is the child that came after Ishmael as they tried to attempt the will of God in their flesh. And what does God say? Give me Isaac. Sacrifice him, Abraham. And in the biggest crisis of his life, he took Isaac up onto the mountaintop to sacrifice him, only to find out that God wasn't really asking for Isaac. He was asking for Abraham. 
And it was there that God intervened and said, no, 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 I have provided myself a sacrifice. And it was through Abraham's faith that we have the greatest picture, one of the greatest pictures of Jesus Christ coming to sacrifice his life for you and me. Oh, if not Abraham, what about Moses? Moses described in the Bible as a man, the most humble man to ever walk on the planet Earth. A humble servant, faithful, that I believe at an early age he recognized the calling of God upon his life as the deliverer. And what a miraculous story in Moses' life to preserve his life and to preserve him to be faithful in obeying God. But in that desire to deliver, he took things into his own hands and he broke up a fight between an Egyptian and an Israeli and he ends up killing the Egyptian. He ends up doing something that God never asked him to do, taking things into his own hands. And it was after that murder that Moses finds himself on the backside of the desert, a place of decision. But it was in the wilderness that he learned, in the desert times, that he learned to worship God. He learned to hear God's voice. And then he came to that place where the bush in front of him started to burn. Isn't that amazing? There he is, rehearsing all the difficulties of life, learning to worship, and then there's a bush that is on fire. And not only is it on fire, but it begins to speak to him. And what's so miraculous is Moses listens to the bush. Now, I don't want you guys going out into your backyard (laughs) expecting the bush that's on fire. Get the fire extinguisher. I mean, you want to step out in faith, great. But hey, he listens and God speaks to him and raises him up as a deliverer. And he chooses to walk through the pain to be used of God to deliver the children of Israel. God wanted more of Moses, not less. He wanted Moses to learn how to trust in him more, not less. How about David? David, that young boy who loved God, and he worshiped God, and he obeyed his daddy, and enjoyed so many wonderful experiences from the Lord. He's the one in the Bible that the Bible describes as a man after God's own heart. And yet early in his young life, God brings him to the valley to look down on a giant. Goliath is there blaspheming God. Goliath is there calling to the armies, I'll kill you and I'll kill everything about you. I'll destroy you. Your God is nothing. And there's David looking at Goliath, rising to the challenge where he's at that fork in the road and he chooses, no, I will go through. You see, David, he killed lions and he killed bears and here he is facing Goliath and God is asking more from David, not less. I want all of you, David. I have plans for your life. Much more than this giant. Then there's Joshua. Joshua is a man who had been around a lot of military campaigns. He was a very faithful servant alongside Moses. He sat in very high-level leadership positions, making very important decisions. He fought and led Israel in many battles and many victories. And there he is on the edge of the city of Jericho, wondering, I don't know about this one. I don't know. This is too much. The walls are too high. And we see him in the beginning of the book of Joshua just really wrestling with fear and anxiety and he's concerned and and that's when when a man showed up with a sword in his hand and immediately caught Joshua's attention. He said, who are you for? And the answer was, neither. I'm not for you or against you. God sent me here. God sent me here to encourage you, to prepare you, 
Joshua was a man of worship, a man of faithful integrity, yet his worship had become regular and routine, and there are those times when God just wants more, and he'll use these startling times in our lives. And what happened with Jericho? God gave them the plans, and God gave them the victory. It's going to be okay, Joshua, because I'm going to fight for you. Trust me. And there's Daniel. Daniel, a faithful man of prayer, worship, devotion, dedication, loving God with all of his heart. And he had, to, he had to experience his friends being thrown into the fiery furnace for their faith. He, he had to experience his own time, his own time of being thrown into a den of lions. You know, we read the Bible so much, we just, Daniel was thrown in a den of lions. These weren't little kitty cats. They were real lions, and yet God, he's telling Daniel, I want more of you. Will you trust me in the lion's den as much as you trust me in your prayer closet? And Daniel rises to the occasion, and God shut the mouths of the lions, and he got the glory, and he also had, got more devotion out of Daniel than he ever had before. And there are those times in our lives. There are those marriage crises. There are times when the money runs out, when the job disappears, when adultery enters in, when the house burns down, when the kids go sideways, when the loneliness swallows you up, when fears and anxiety rule and they grow. But God is using them. You may not even see it for years until after the fact, but God is using them. God is saying, I want you and I want more of you and I want all of you. And God is going to use the crises in our lives to get more of you. And that's what we learn with Hannah. They end up being wonderful times, glorious times, precious and dear. Maybe you feel like Hannah today, barren, taunted, misunderstood, mishandled, lonely, forgotten, anguished, desperate, and it's this crisis that God is getting more of her, more of you. Something pops into our lives. It just appears. We didn't expect it, didn't plan for it. And we so quickly cry out, not fair, God. Not fair. Listen, friends, please, listen to me. Whatever God says is fair. And whatever God does is fair. You see, because God, he sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to die for you and for me so that forever we would define justice and fairness by the cross of Jesus Christ and nothing else. You see, the Bible says that God sent the just for the unjust. He sent the just for the unjust. And early on in our relationship with God, we agree with that. Yes, you are just God and I am unjust. But over time, through a series of good works, by being in church for a while and doing good things and reading my Bible, and helping other people, and giving to the poor, and tithing, and before long we begin to think, no, I'm the just. I'm the just. Look how much I've done for you, God. And then a crisis comes in, and, and our immediate response in the temporary is, it's not fair. And God will gently, and he will carefully take our eyes back to the cross and say, that, that is the definition of fairness my son for you, the just for the unjust, the innocent 
for the guilty. For the guilty. Whatever God says is fair and whatever he does is fair. You know, we think God, we think God just works in sterile environments. You know, that God, when he is fashioning and molding us, it's a very clinical thing in our minds. We think, well, he's just going to know what I need. He's going to add it to me. You know, that everything is just clean. That he only uses clean types of tools. And, you know, I get the picture of a hospital. You're just in a hospital. You're ready for surgery. You just know everything's clean. The surgeons have scrubbed. And it's just going to be completely clean environment. And everything's going to go well. And, and we're just going to be in and out. And it's all routine. But that's not reality. It's not even reality in the hospital. You're kind of thinking everything's clean until you get up and find out that they only gave you half a gown. <laughs> and you're walking down and going, boo, you only got half a gown. Because not, not, not all is as it seems. And in reality, isn't it true that God, when he works in our lives, it's a, it's a pretty messy thing. Because sin is what's corrupted us. And when God gets down and deals with us, it's a very messy thing. It's not as clean as as sterile as you might think. And that's why it's easy to dismiss trials and tribulations like they're not going to be used by God because they're not so clean and they're not so sterile. No, they're very hard, very difficult, very unpredictable, very emotional. I mean, if you think of Hannah right now, she is going through everything. She's got a physical condition. She's got a spiritual condition. She, she has an emotional condition. Like everything about her, she's being attacked on everything. On top of that, she also has the pressure of her barrenness. Not only is that such a deep emotional thing as so many listening to me have experienced this or might even be experiencing this right now. And it's so, but for her, it was also cultural. She was shamed in her culture by not being able to have a child. She was looked down. It could, she couldn't on any Anywhere on the planet, she couldn't look for help but God. And it happens to you and to me, not just to Hannah. Hannah's our sister. We're going to meet her in heaven. And this is where she is. We're learning and we'll learn that God is on the throne. And when he isn't allowed to rule, he overrules. He's the Lord of hosts, and his purposes and will for us will be accomplished. God shows, in his Bible, God shows us that he uses all kinds of things to bring us to where he wants us. He uses Babylonians. He uses Amalekites. He uses wind. He uses storms. He uses death. He uses sickness. He uses people. He uses gossip. You name it, God uses it. Why? Because he wants more of you. He wants you deeper in his walk with you. So like Hannah, you say, I'm not drunk. I'm desperate. I'm praying, expecting God to answer. Notice with me in verse 19 now. Remember, Hannah doesn't know how it ends, but we're going to learn how it ends. Then they rose early in the morning and worshiped before the Lord and returned and came to their house at Ramah. And Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. And so it came to pass in the process of time that Hannah conceived and bore a son and called his name Samuel, saying, Because I have asked for him from the Lord. And the man Elkanah and all his house went up to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice and his vow. But Hannah did not go up, for she said to her husband, I will not go up until the child is weaned. Then I'll take him, and he may appear before the Lord and remain there forever. And Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Do what seems best to you. Wait until you have weaned him. Only let the Lord establish his word. And so the woman stayed and nursed her son until she had weaned him. Prayer almost always ends with worship. And here we learn very quickly in Hannah's life that God remembered her and she gave birth to a child. And this child's name is Samuel. 
His name literally means heard of God or appointed or asked of God. This is God's answer. She received the child. It's such a glorious thing when the assurance of God's word comes to our hearts and establishes us. Like the psalmist said in Psalm 119, verse 38, establish your word to your servant who is devoted to fearing you. God, you're sovereign. God, you love me. God, you care. You hear. You answer. What a peace that comes and floods our soul. And in naming her baby, Hannah remembered that his delivery was an answer to prayer directly from God. And Elkanah now goes back to worship and she stays behind. Notice in verse 24, Now when she had weaned him, she took him up with her and three bowls, one ephah of flour, a skin of wine, brought him to the house of the Lord in Shiloh, and the child was young. And they slaughtered a bull and brought the child to Eli. And she said, O my Lord, as your soul lives, my Lord, I am the woman who stood by you here praying to the Lord. And that word Lord is Yahweh, Jehovah. I've been praying to Yahweh. I've been praying to Jehovah. And here's the kid. Here's the answer. Verse 27, for this child I prayed and the Lord has granted me my petition, which I asked of him. Therefore, I've also lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he shall be lent to the Lord. So they worship the Lord there. Can you imagine being there watching this? They say the weaning period was about three years. So some commentators say that Sam is about three years old now. And she finally brings him. And where does she go? She goes right back to the place of worship. The same priest is there. His name is Eli. And what what does Hannah do? She goes and says, hey, do you remember the time? Do you remember back? Remember that back? I was praying. Okay, maybe you don't remember. But I was praying. And here, here's the child. This is God's answer to prayer. And, And what ministers to my heart here is very important. Because she doesn't use the failure of Eli as an excuse to fulfill her vow to God. Because people will fail you. And pastors will fail you. And spouses will fail you. And friends will fail you. And this world will fail you. And you will be met with failure at every turn. But God will never, ever fail you. He will never turn his back on you. And listen... Please, don't allow the failure of men and women to somehow convince you to believe the lie that you don't need to fulfill your vow to God. Your vow was to God, not to man. And what Hannah does is she sets aside the failure of Eli. She looks past it. Love, like the Bible says, covers a multitude of sins. And she said, I mean, she could have said, I'm not leaving my kid. This is a real baby dedication, right? We had a baby dedication last night where we had the family come up. The utilities bring little Judah. I had Judah in my hands right here. And my hand was up on him. He was slobbering all down my arm, all up in my watch. And he's pulling at me while we're praying. And then after I'm done praying, after we lift him up to the Lord, guess what I got to do? Here's Judah. Give him right back. Here he is. That, that's the, the baby dedication that, you know, parents don't leave their kids here. And by the way, don't, don't even get the idea, all right? <laughs> don't even get the idea. Samuel, this dedication, she left him. You train this young man. He is dedicated to the Lord. He belongs to the Lord, just like all of our children. Our children belong to the Lord. They're on loan to us to raise them, disciple them in the ways of the Lord, but they belong to the Lord. And Samuel, he was left there. And she comes to the, I don't care how he treated me, I don't care, this is my dedication. And and I've heard it before, guys, I've heard it so many times. You know, I've heard people say, I'm not going back to that church. 
They fail me there. That pastor didn't help me, didn't return my phone call, didn't help me. And for those things, we apologize because mistakes are made. But don't let someone's failure become an excuse where you refuse to obey God. Nothing excuses us from obeying God. And follow Hannah's example. What a, what a tremendous testimony. This is the answer to my prayer. Samuel, raise him and train him how to be a man of God. Here's God's hand. It's just so sweet to see how it ended. Because, because you know, for those of you that are misunderstood today, and those of you that are forgotten, and those of you that are lonely and taunted, and those of you that are desperate, desperate, desperate before God, God is answering your prayer. Trust him. He wants more of you. How do I know that? Because the crisis in your life has brought you to a fork in the road. You will either choose to follow God and press in, or you will choose to leave God and run away. And leaving God and running away will never, ever, ever get you the will of God. The chapter opens with great desperation and difficulty, but how does the chapter end? The chapter ends in worship. Do you see that? The chapter ends in verse 28, so they worship Jehovah there. They worship Jehovah there. That is the promise of God to you today, to worship him. God is bringing you to the place of worship. What a fantastic example for us to consider. And we hope that that has encouraged you to worship God and pray in the midst of your difficulty. Today on Abounding Grace, we learn that the crisis is God's tool to get more of us. It's part of Pastor Ed Taylor's series, Help for the Troubled Heart. Request a CD copy of the message or the entire series when you give us a call at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. As we're learning through our present series, God has the help we need when our heart is troubled and we're discouraged. And at helpforthetroubledheart.com, you'll find resources that will encourage your faith and lift your spirit. Again, drop by helpforthetroubledheart.com today. We'd also like to pray for you and whatever situation you find yourself in today. We'd be honored to go to the Lord on your behalf. So email your prayer requests to prayer at calvaryaurora.org. At Abounding Grace, we're committed to delivering God's Word to stations like this every day. But we can't do it alone. We're very thankful for the listeners that come alongside us. And if you'd like to help us reach people with the love and truth of Christ, please visit calvaryaurora.org or call 877-30-GRACE. Ed, in today's study, we noticed that Hannah prayed and went to church during her season of difficulty. And sometimes people do just the opposite during their pain. They pull away from church and the Lord. Maybe someone listening is doing just that. Would you speak a word of encouragement to them right now? Yeah, it's very easy to allow our frustrations and our difficulties to draw us away from the very source of help that God has designed for us. And one of them is church and being around other believers and being a room where people are singing and worshiping, being in a room where there are people that aren't currently struggling or that just received the victory that, that you're hoping for. And, and the, the worst thing that you can do, just like the Bible says, a person that isolates themselves raises against all sound judgment. And it's just simply not a wise decision. Uh, so I want to encourage you to prayerfully consider coming back into fellowship. 
And I know there are probably things like, I don't want anybody to, I don't want anyone to ask me questions anymore. And, and, and I'm, it's hard for me to see other people so happy. And, and, and I just don't get anything out of the Bible right now. And, and a whole host of reasons that are valid and, and real. Some of them are invalid, but they're still real. And I would encourage you, come back. Come back into fellowship. Sit in the back if you need to. Uh, come a little bit later. Leave a bit, little bit earlier uh, until you're back into that rhythm where the Holy Spirit can use the dynamic of community, the dynamic of koinonia, the dynamic of being in a place where God inhabits the praises of his people, and and even if the church has let you down, or the pastor might have hurt you, or you know you experience hurt with a leader one time, you know the answer to that, of course, is forgiveness, and to be back into fellowship. Uh, you don't have to submit yourself to being hurt again. That's not what I mean. But coming back into the place of fellowship, where the Holy Spirit can use that in your life. Come on back home, and let's worship Jesus together. Thanks again, Ed. Don't miss our next study when we'll bring you more help for the troubled heart. That's right here on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. Abounding Grace with Ed Taylor is presented by Calvary Chapel Aurora.